0: Hey beautiful teachers, I'm Nicola Canton from Vibrant Music Teaching. Welcome to the show that's about you. Today we're heading to Australia to visit Lydia Wills. Her first teacher is an unusual story. I'd love to hear if you've had a similar experience once you've listened. Lydia's thoughts on understanding that our students are not us particularly stood out to me in our conversation and I hope you get some thinking points from that too. welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me Nicola, it's lovely to be here.
0: We like to get to know our our guests with a little bit of a game, first of all. So can you tell me two lies and one truth and I'll try to guess which one is true.
1: (laughs) So I have to confess, I'm actually really bad at these sort of games. So I went and googled (laughs) ideas, (laughs) two truths and a lie and I was like reading through it. I went, oh, that's a good one. Oh no, I've actually done that. So I can't use that one. There's a good one. No, that's a truth as well. So anyway, I have a list. <laughs> but, uh, so my true truths that a lie. I used to live in Canada. I have a bubble bath every night and I eat bugs deliberately.
0: Yeah, no, I got that. <laughs> um... So you did one lie, is that right? Yes. Okay. I'm going to guess that Canada is a lie. I don't know
1: why. No, I lived there when I was two, between two and three, with my parents who went overseas for nine months.
0: Oh, nice. So which one is the lie?
1: Uh, Having a bubble bath every night. I don't have time for that. I'd love to.
0: (laughs) It would be a lot of water usage as well. Not the best thing for there the is planet. That. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you do eat insects, bugs.
1: Well, sort of. I bought these for my son for Christmas.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Snack crickets, and he refused to eat them. So I've been eating them, and actually, they're quite nice. I've, I'm yeah, impressed. I've heard yes. they are.
0: Yeah, people say they're just crunchy and. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yes, no real difference to seafood. So there you go, Found a your yeah. luck.
0: <laughs> Super. Okay, so that's a little bit about your personal life. Interesting tidbits. Um, <laughs> can you tell us a bit about yourself as a teacher? I want you to imagine that you've been given some free advertising space, but it's quite a limited free offer. So they're going to put the photo on. They're going to put your studio info right there. So all you get to decide on is three words perhaps three adjectives to describe you as a teacher what would you put
1: well look this is another one where I really struggle to think about it I think three words I would go with dots and stems because that happens to be the name of my studio (laughs) which doesn't really give you much description but I chose that because I'm really strong believer on sight reading Uh, I've had a lot of students who just struggle with reading and so that's something that's really important to me. But it's also that my teaching is not just about the dots and stems on the page. It's about a more holistic musical experience. So I can't really narrow it down to just three adjectives. <laughs> but, yeah, um, student-led but very much teacher-structured.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sorry, but that's one than three like... words. No, that's fine, but it sounds like your studio name, you put a lot of thought into that. And those are the three words you chose to to represent you. Yeah, because you're kind of playing with the fact that you're very reading focused, but it sounds playful. So it's clearly not just that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's awesome. So what was your own musical upbringing? Like, did you take lessons at a young age? What were the lessons like that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, so I'm the youngest of four children and my sister, who also learnt piano, is 11 years older than I am. And when I turned four on my fourth birthday, she gave me this book.
0: Oh, you (laughs) still have it. Oh my gosh. Do you know that I named the the game
1: after there's a game named after that? I believe so. (laughs) Um, I haven't used that game, but yes, I know. So it's falling apart, but it's one that I will never let go. It's still got the inscription in it. Um, and dates. So that was, that was F and
0: ACE because we won't necessarily be watching the video. So Gibbity F and ACE. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, so that was what I was for. And so she taught me for actually all of my, um, pre-university life. Um, yeah, Uh, I know that wouldn't work in a lot of families, but it did in ours. My sister and I are really close. So yeah, she was the only teacher I had until I went to university. And it was great.
0: Wow, that's a really interesting setup. So she had an outside teacher, did she?
1: Yes, yeah, that's right. She must have been learning for a number of years. I'm not sure how long, but she obviously wanted to share that, and uh, yeah, so she gave me little lessons and.
0: Wow, that's incredible. I'm trying to imagine my eldest brother teaching me. I don't (laughs) think
1: that. (laughs) It wouldn't work with my children either. Then, yeah. Yeah.
0: But it's great that it worked for you and you could have that experience together. So did yeah. you practice well for your for your teacher since she was around the house anyway?
1: <laughs> well, look, I don't really remember when I was tiny what I yeah. did. Um, I mean, I must have done because there's dates written on all the pieces in the books when I, you know, completed them. So uh, there must have been some practice being done. I know when I was a bit older, oh, probably seven or eight, I just got tired of piano I guess and stopped playing for a while and I mean it was easy for my parents because it was my sister teaching me they weren't paying for lessons so they just went yeah that's fine whatever and then one day I walked past the piano went oh maybe I'll play a piece and I started playing again and after that I think yeah I practiced consistently and Mm. lots um, probably with a lot of help or support maybe to actually go and sit down at the practice at, to practice at the piano. Um, yeah. And then when I was in high school age, I had a more structured routine and I would practice consistently from Monday to Thursday every week. Um, and yeah, it was built around a routine. So I was actually homeschooled. And so after morning tea every day, which was always at 10 o'clock, I would just go after that and sit down at the piano and practice. And it was great because it was just a thing you did and it was a habit. And yeah, something I really encourage my students to try and do. With limited success in many cases. <laughs> but it worked yeah. really well. It was really effective.
0: I'd say it was also helpful that you were homeschooled and therefore it was like in your freshest part of the day. It wasn't the end of the day. I think that's often what Absolutely. we're contending with. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Although I have some with... students who do scales before school, as their parents call it, which is fun.
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I have a student who gets up at six o'clock every morning to practice before she leaves for school at like half past seven. So there's dedication for you.
0: <laughs> when it happens, it's great, but we can't rely on that being a strategy, I don't think. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm curious, was your lesson with your sister, was that structured as well? Was that on Fridays or something, a specific day
1: I think so, but I don't really remember. Once she married and moved out of home, it became a regular day because we Mm -hmm. actually had to go to her place. But when she was at home, I'm assuming so, because that would have fit in with her schedule.
0: Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So is there anything you wish your sister had included in your lessons? (laughs) Did you improvise with her? Did you do other things?
1: No, it was very classical. learn to read and play Uh, and being here in Australia it was definitely an exam system so you learnt a subset of scales and arpeggios for the exam and you learnt six pieces a year and that was pretty much it and a little bit of sight reading and oral before the exams and that was normal so I didn't ever feel like I was missing out but now I look at all of the other things that music is about and I go oh yeah I would have liked to have learnt to improvise or to uh, to read off a chord chart because when I was, you know, in university and somebody said, here, can you play this for me to accompany them, I went, don't you have any music because I can't read this, I don't know how to do chords. <laughs> so, you know, I had to teach that to myself later and that was an interesting challenge. But it was certainly very solid in terms of being able to read music and technical development and things like that.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I'm curious and I'm sure the listeners will be too. Did you teach did your sister go on to teach anyone else? Were you her only student? Yes.
1: No, no, she actually did a bachelor of music as well, and she still teaches piano. She's got quite a successful studio of her own in a different state. And yeah, so there you go. Oh, that's fantastic.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. So, when and how did you get into teaching yourself? Were you encouraged by your teacher? Did you <laughs> get into it some other way?
1: Yeah. Look, when I was 16, there was another homeschooled girl, or probably a while away because half an hour or so away, because we lived out in the country. Uh, and she started coming for lessons. She wanted to learn. And my sister said, Oh, Lydia wants to start teaching. Go and learn from her. So she was sort of my only student for a couple of years. It was very hard being out in the country and with the arts not being particularly valued in a rural area Mm. to gain students. Uh, But, you know, it was a good start. And then uh, sort of partway through university in my fourth year maybe, one of my friend's fathers in the state capital, Brisbane, had an opening for a piano teacher in his music school that he ran and I said oh I wouldn't mind doing that and so I got a job there and I traveled backwards and forwards between the country and the city for a couple of years and that was another really interesting part of my musical development because it was very different to what I'd done. He had a particular way of teaching that that was the only acceptable way to teach students and he was very much a businessman rather than a music teacher and so it was very business structured and that in itself was an education Mm. of um, I learned lots of things about how I did or didn't want to treat students as clients as opposed to uh, students and parents and things like that but yeah, it was also a very good experience in learning to deal with a whole heap of different kinds of students, different values, students who didn't practice at all or students who practiced lots. So, yeah. Yeah, that sounds and like, like a then, wonderful yeah. start. Yeah. When I was later on in university, I ended up teaching at a local high school back at home. And I did that for a few months and that was my first real introduction to learning to play with chord patterns and things because the previous teacher who'd left the school had taught all of her students to read treble clef and then to improvise chord patterns with the left hand. So I actually learned a lot very quickly from those handful of students (laughs) and, um, yeah, that was great, but it was also another, you know, really big challenge. Yeah. And then we moved into state. I got married and um, we moved for my husband's work. And so then I had to start my own studio again from scratch. And that was, uh, yeah, a slow process, but um, it's been really good locally. and Yeah,
0: it's going well. Oh, fantastic. So when you arrived at that school and you your students already knew how to play lead sheets and you you <laughs> didn't, um, yep. did you feel like oh my gosh, I'm not qualified to be here? Or did you just jump in and say, oh, this is a new challenge? Did it phase you?
1: Look, both. Yes, definitely. It was very challenging. I was like, how am I going to teach them because I don't even know what's going on here? Mm. But also I had enough knowledge of chords and theory and stuff to be able to look at it and go, oh, okay, she's just started with the basics of when you've got a C chord, you play a C in the left hand or then you can move on to doing C, G, C, so you know, octave yeah. a fifth and then she's gone on to these other patterns. So it didn't take me long to pick it up, but it was certainly very confronting when the first student walked in and I said, you know, so play me something and she's playing this pop song and I went, oh, okay, but that's not what the notes are. Like, what do I do <laughs> now? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah, it must have been an experience. All right. So can you tell me about a student, a particular student that changed something about how you teach or something about your
1: business? It's really hard to narrow it down to just one, (laughs) as you would know, because, you know, there's been so many different experiences, like the students who were playing pop songs or had only learnt pieces by rote, so couldn't read, you know, where do you go from there? You have to make up a lot of things on the fly. What I really found was that I, you know, I never really enjoyed teaching. It was something I did because it earned me money and it was, I was good at music, so that was just kind of what I fell into. Once I had children of my own, I became really interested in child development and I read up heaps and I learned about stuff. And with the few students that I had at the time that my kids were little, I then started to see how that child development played out in students as well. And so I'd see different things, you know, preschoolers at this particular age are capable of doing whatever and, or they learn in a particular way or they're really imaginative And the same thing as my children have gotten older, it's become, you know, easy to compare them, I guess, to students, but also to just see the sorts of similarities in different ages and how different learning styles come about and the sorts of things that motivate them. And so... I did teach my own students for sorry my own children as students for a while so they I guess have been um really influential on my own teaching I now really love teaching I found it really fascinating to see how kids minds develop and how they learn and their enthusiasm and I love it um so yeah it's not so much one student I have had you know the horror students that have really challenged me and I've had lovely students that have just been wonderful to teach but I think it's mostly the broader range that's really been more influential because I've seen the way they all connect and you try a strategy and it works, and you're like oh okay so now I'll try it with all the other students and yeah that's been really important in the development of my teaching and I feel it's made me a better teacher I, able to get more out of my students without it being really hard work.
0: Yeah. And
1: it, so if I'm hearing you
0: right, that the, having your own kids is what really hooked you into understanding the development process and the learning process mm. much more so.
1: Is that right? Yeah, that's definitely the case. Yes. I think before, you know, the way I was taught, it was just, here's the music teach them how to read the music, teach them how to play the notes on the page, you know, make sure they do dynamics. It's not really that interesting when you stop and think about it like that. (laughs) But when you start viewing it as a learning process or as development in their journeys, that's when it becomes more interesting. And that's when you can start to hook different things in. And, well, if they're doing this, then they'd probably like that. Or if I need to teach them a particular technique and they're just not getting it, I can try this other way. Or we'll use this other technique to, or strategy or, and practice strategies. I mean, we all know how much we need to do that for different students. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what hooks many of us into teaching or starts mm-hmm. to build the obsession, perhaps, for many of us is understanding <laughs> that journey. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. So what's the biggest mistake you think you've made in your teaching so far? It could be something specific or something more general across the board.
1: (laughs) Again, so many mistakes. (laughs) But really, I I really think uh, that probably the broadest range, the biggest mistake has been the underlying assumption, which I really try hard to avoid these days, but it's still kind of there, this assumption that students are going to be the same as me. They're going to learn the same way, or they're going to have the same motivations, or they'll practice the same way that I practice because I know how to practice and it's effective. Why wouldn't you do it that way? But obviously, students aren't like that. And so, learning how to deal with it individually is mm-hmm. definitely my biggest challenge and taking that and running with it and going okay this particular student is only going to practice half an hour a week what can we do with that and still make it a successful musical journey for them uh you know keep them learning keep them interested in music make sure that they leave my studio with a love of music still and that I haven't just you know browbeaten it out of them because they didn't practice or whatever it is that is that particular student's challenge. But yes, certainly trying to treat them not just as a mini me, but as people in their own right.
0: Yeah, I think it's a a journey for many of us of almost self-awareness because you need to understand where you, where your tendencies are. I mean, amounts of practice growing up is an easy thing to understand, but, you know, diving deeper into how did you learn and how did you process this information? Mm. Like I would have always leaned on the math side of music, but many people don't, and I do get that now. <laughs> but I didn't always like that. Was always well. Yeah, it's just much easier if we just talk in fractions, little tiny child. No, it's not yeah. easier for them, <laughs> yes. you know. But it, yeah, even exactly. at that age, I would have thought of it kind of on that that level rather than yeah. going for just this is kind of what it sounds like. Let's go. So yeah, understanding those little intricacies of how you learnt, I think, is really important.
1: And understanding that students don't, particularly children, don't always actually want to know the why behind something. You know, I always do, but why is it like that? You know, why is it a quarter of a note or whatever? But they're like, just tell me how to do it.
0: Yeah, (laughs) which is also the wonderful thing about them because adult students get so bogged down and, but I have to understand everything right now. And you're like, I don't want to tell you about all of chord theory. (laughs) Just play the chord. Because yeah, yeah, exactly. you just if I do tell you about it, you're gonna get so overwhelmed because that's what they do and yeah, then so kids are great for right. that. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. But then I enjoy the adult students too, because I can go and dive yeah. down those rabbit holes as well. So
0: Absolutely. So if you could turn back time and talk to yourself when you first started teaching, perhaps when you had that first student who was down the road in the country. <laughs> um yep. What would, you, what would you tell yourself? What advice could you give yourself?
1: I think I would tell myself to search for the spark that's both inside myself and inside the student because that's really what was missing in my early years as a teacher, just teaching the notes on the page. And it wasn't, um, there was no real love of learning. I wasn't trying to foster that love of learning at that point. I was, you know, teaching dots. Whereas I think if you can search for the thing that motivates us or the thing that motivates yourself, that will come through in your teaching. And that gives you a reason to get up and do it every day. And it really helps with your job satisfaction.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's a beautiful thing to tell yourself. So having experienced teaching in two different states in Australia, right? Is there anything you think people outside our industry misunderstand about what we do?
1: Definitely, definitely. (laughs) And I don't know how much of it is just limited to my particular country or the area that we're in. Um, But generally I find that people who aren't already involved in music or the arts more broadly tend to think of them as an add-on or an extra and not something that's intrinsic to humanity and to being a person. Um, and I find that they tend to think of lessons, piano lessons, for example, as being goal oriented, which was the way I taught at first, you know, they think of it as you're here to learn a piece of music. Whereas for me, it's more about fostering that love of music and teaching students how to learn so that they can continue, whether they have lessons for a year or all of their schooling life so that when they leave me, they can still go on and keep playing piano or learning other instruments or wherever their journey takes them. But so they still got those options as they leave. And I think that's missing in a lot of uh, people's ideas about what we do. They see the final product and, you know, obviously there are goals. I, as a teacher, I have goals for my students, but every process and structure that I put into it has to fit into that end um, meaning of learning how to music and learning how about yourself as a person and learning how to communicate and so many different things in music that just aren't obvious to anyone who's never studied it.
0: Yeah, that's so true. On your first point, You talked about um, seeing it as a supplement or seeing it as just an add-on. Do you think at all... I often think that part of the problem behind that is that it's not always included in schools or if it is, it's kind of an extra class and it's seen as a bit of a break, even though it's not. And (laughs) I'm using school school teachers, please don't take it that I'm saying that I think your job (laughs) is like that. I'm just saying, I know that's sometimes the perception. So do you think that you growing up where music was a part of your day because you were homeschooled and it was part of your school day right if it was in the Mm. mid-morning do you think that affected how you viewed it growing up as being part of just all the things that you were doing all the education?
1: I think so like it was actually probably a bigger part of my life than actual education was. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, and there I go separating them again, but yeah, it was not something that counted towards a school degree. It was an extra thing. The different parts of Australia have different regulations. So the state I grew up in, Queensland, they actually have music as a compulsory part of primary school. Uh, as classroom so each public school will have a specialist teacher who teaches music broadly obviously not uh, individual lessons whereas where I'm living now in New South Wales it is not compulsory so there's a broader arts package it includes visual arts drama dance and music and schools have to include one of those for a certain amount of hours each week but who well, which of those tends to be left up to the individual school and who they have on staff? So it's certainly not supported at a broader level. And it depends, like I've worked in both public schools and in private schools as a peripatetic tutor and accompanying choirs and things. And certainly the private schools where the they have an emphasis on the performing arts have a much stronger culture around music generally. And the schools that don't have that, whether they're private or public, yeah, the arts are definitely seen as an extra thing and sport tends to take priority. So if there's a clash ever, it tends to be music that gets cancelled rather than mm-hmm. the other things.
0: Yeah, that's a similar story maybe to what happens here. So I am mm-hmm. familiar with it. It's supposed to be on our our curriculum in primary schools, but it's taught by the, their regular teacher. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah. it depends on if the teacher like singing or not basically (laughs) you know (laughs) they're gonna do it or or they're going to claim they didn't have time um yeah yeah. so finally then I want you to imagine a teacher out there somewhere and they've stumbled across this episode but maybe they're not as broadly connected to other teachers they're not Mm -hmm. involved in communities and they're feeling a little bit like they don't know if they're doing it right they're uncertain about their teaching or their business
1: is there any message you could send out to them? Mm. I think I'd say everybody gets uncertain about things at some point and no matter what we look like there's uncertainty. And the biggest thing that I've found useful is to be able to articulate what that uncertainty is about. So often it's we have fears And once we actually say them out loud or write them down or talk to someone about them, we've realized that they're actually not that big a deal after all. Or you can sometimes just talk to someone and find the solution while you're talking about it. It's like, where are my car keys? And as soon as you say, even if you've been searching for 10 minutes, you see them. It's a bit like that. You can often just find the solution just by articulating what the problem is. I find that often I feel uncertain about things. And I don't really know what it is, but if I can actually articulate it, say it, write it down, whatever, then it becomes a less scary thing. So giving yourself that structure to be able to then pursue a solution or a, for the problem or yeah, something like that is very helpful.
0: Yes. Just giving it a name can sometimes be hugely powerful. Thank you for that piece of advice and thank you for joining us on the show, Lydia. This has been wonderful.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Nicola.
0: Thanks for listening. Do you love this show? Then please share your favorite episode with a teacher friend who you think might enjoy it and benefit from it. If you resonated with today's story, then the Vibrant Music Teaching membership is probably a good fit for you too. Find out more at vibrantmusicteaching.com.